Welcome, everyone, to Season 2, Episode 55 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yash Bika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. In this episode, we're going to discuss the Manchester Derby, Everton picking up with their first win under interim manager Duncan Ferguson, Arsenal finally getting a win again, and Sun probably winning goal of the season. But, first of all, it is our first episode where a manager has not gotten fired. Um, in our previous three episodes, each time we've recorded, a manager has been sacked the day we recorded. Finally, that bad voodoo magic, luckily for the Premier League managers, has gone away for us. And no manager has been sacked, so everyone still has their job right now. Obviously, Everton still have an interim manager. But we're going to discuss the biggest game of the weekend, which was the Manchester Derby, where we saw Manchester United surprisingly going into the Etihad and winning 2-1. Guess who called it? That was me. Called it in the last episode because I was feeling that Manchester United magic after beating Tottenham. Had a good feeling about this game. And they came in there with the game plan and they, and they won it with the pace of Martial, Rashford, James, and Lingard. I mean, they completely wrecked City's defense and they just showed how vulnerable City is on the counterattack. Yeah, this is like as if you knew this was going to happen. It's like, are you a Manchester United fan or something? That's like a wild call to even make. And then sure enough, going into this game, you called the 2-1 and it actually happens. So I'm very thankful for that as a Liverpool fan because now the title race is just is even a race at this point. It's done. I mean, Leicester's the closest team at this point. The gap is 14 points. Yeah. That's that's insane. That's Mm -hmm. basically five wins, basically. Like, or four wins or two draws. Four wins and two draws. Like, that's basically the gap is enormous. But for me, I still think the race, if you can still call it a race, I cut, I I would consider it more a marathon. Mm-hmm. I still think it's still on because you never know. Maybe Liverpool slips a little bit and then I mean, they'd have to lose like four or five. They they would have to at least at least three or four times during this season to even It's mm-hmm. And it's looking so unlikely considering how good they're playing right now. Yeah, and Liverpool have not even lost a match in the past say now 34 games or 35 games including the champions league game today but you never know maybe hopefully not knock on wood some (laughs) crisis happens but even with that liverpool's depth is just too insane but man manchester city this game they just looks like they were not ready i know manchester united had everything ready to like stop everything city had I'll let you go into that since you're the United fan. <laughs> no, I was going to say this. It seemed like I remember when Liverpool beat City in the Champions League a couple seasons ago, they basically hit them really fast on the counterattack and just with their fast wingers and, you know, pacey players, they just hit them on the counterattack. And I feel like United basically did the same game plan. You know, you have fast wingers, fast attackers that basically when the ball turns over, you have your midfielders just spray the ball out to your wingers and you trust them to make the right decision. And for them... Marcus Rashford was on fire. I mean, he just looked like a man that couldn't be stopped. If Kyle Walker, the only thing that saved City's defense that game was Kyle Walker's athleticism because there were so many times on that break on the counterattack where Marcus Rashford could have easily been played in so many more times, but it's Kyle Walker's, you know, pace to keep up with Rashford and strength that stopped, you know, City from, you know, conceding more chances. And then on the right side, Daniel James against Angelino. I mean, it was not even a competition. Daniel James just outran him. And I felt so bad for Angelino because he just looked like he was so out of his wits being at being, you know, being that fullback for Manchester City. And then we saw with the center backs, John Stones. I mean, 
this is a this is a little sad to say, but I remember when John Stones was signed for City, everyone said that a lot of some people were even saying that this guy could be like the England version of PK. But now <laughs> he's looking more like Phil Jones. You know, I mean, this guy just looks like he is making mistakes all the time. He can't stay healthy, and whenever he is healthy, Pep Guardiola has shown that when he has his squad at full health, he's not trusting John Stones. He has him on the bench. And the only reason Stones was playing is because of they have no other options. Um, you know, the city's defense is just complete shambles, and United came with a game plan. But I want to say this. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in the span of four days has beaten Jose Mourinho, obviously, who has a new team with Tottenham, not a full season, but beaten Jose Mourinho and Pep Guardiola, arguably two of the greatest managers we've seen this decade has beaten them in a span of four days. I mean, I think that's pretty impressive, and that's probably saved his job if there was any questions about it. My question is, do you think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer turned into a tactical mastermind in the span of those four days? Or do you think it was sort of the things he's been saying all season where it's like, you know, you trust in the process, we're building something here, it just hasn't all come together. Did it finally come together, or do you feel like he had a game plan in mind for both of these games and it came out perfectly? I think it's a little bit of both where you have to trust the process and it kind of showed this game where Fred and Scott McTominay got they got to play in that center defensive mid pairing and whenever you see them play usually good things for United happen and it allowed Fred to be a lot more free and give a lot more forward passes and Scott McTominay was just like was just a rock in the back just helping that center or that back four sure of the defense so it's like little things like that like the process for building that but also I feel like right now, Manchester City are just so vulnerable that mm-hmm. if there is a time to exploit them, and it would, be now. it would be now. Because literally, they do have enough center backs to play, but it's just Pep Guardiola, for some reason, just doesn't trust John Stones and Otamendi to start together. And in my opinion, that's just a little bizarre after just watching so many results occur where City have dropped points not only in the Premier League, but also in the Champions League whenever Fernandinho yeah, starts. they can't keep a clean sheet anymore. Yeah, they can't even keep a clean sheet, so... It's like, uh, I don't know, but there's many ways to exploit City. It looks like just watching this this game itself because Manchester United, it seems like every pass they they made in the counterattack, it was just like all choreographed and they knew it was going to happen. Like there literally only needed to be three players up in the attack versus that back four of City. So I, I remember just watching Daniel James, Marcus Rashford, and Martial, just those three by themselves, just stringing one, one, two passes through through mm-hmm. their defense as if it was like cheese. <laughs> yeah, it, it honestly felt like they were playing FIFA. I mean, I saw Martial's second goal. I texted you this, but when I saw it, I was like, holy crap, that reminded me of FIFA. Like just straight up like Martial basically getting the ball, shielding the ball and basically doing a quick little turn, playing a one, two with Daniel James. He gets it back and just shoots. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the definition of a FIFA goal you're just doing little one twos and just getting past the defense so easily that should not be happening if you're a Pep Guardiola side just getting cut cut that easily but um, I wanted to point this out Roy Keane who's been pretty hard on Manchester United over the past few years which is understandably so he actually gave praise to this United team he said that was a proper United performance like everyone everyone like you know out of the starting 11, knew what they were doing. Everyone had a game plan. Everyone followed the game plan. And everyone worked together as a team. And one of the biggest thing, biggest things Solskjaer has done, I would say, as he's trying to rewrite the culture and trying to um, get that United culture back into the squad. 
um, because, you know, we've seen with Van Hall and Mourinho, a lot of the players they would bring in were, you know, older professionals that not that didn't necessarily knew what the Manchester United way was. But we've seen this with Marcus Rashford, Martial, Dan James, you know, young attacking players, you know, McTominay, a guy that's from the United Academy, Victor Lindelof kind of growing into a little bit more of a presence, Harry Maguire trying to lead the back line, Juan Basaka, um, these players that are young, that are improving, that have the right mindset, that aren't swayed by, you know, all the things that are going around the media that just kind of want to dig in and just do the work. And I kind of compared a little bit to Klopp, you know, Klopp, when he first came in with Liverpool, his whole big thing was, you know, getting the right players in, finding the players that fit his system. And then Solskjaer is doing this right now with Manchester United, um, finding the right players, making sure they fit the culture first and then building them out from there. And I think that's been the most impressive thing for me right now with these two results with Manchester United. Hmm. And to kind of highlight some of the players, one of the players I really wanted to highlight this game was Dan James because I feel like as the season's progressed, he's gotten a lot smarter in terms of how he really plays his game because there have been times during the season where he would just bombard down down the field by himself and just try to you know, sauce his way into the goal and then take a shot. And even like a few games ago, he wouldn't wait for that outside run from like Aaron Juan Basaka to, you know, overlap him. He'd just try to go in by himself and just take a shot. But this game, I've noticed that he was very smart in terms of shooting the shielding the ball, waiting mm-hmm. for a pass, being able to hold up play to allow, you know, players to build up and, you know, support him. And during this game, he was able to also draw defenders towards him so that he could free up space for others. And that's something that he kind of developed really quickly. I'm not sure if this could be something that's going to be seen consistently in his game. But like in this game against City, it just looked like he was orchestrating that whole offense at times where, you know, you it's like, how do you know Aaron Wambazaka was making that overrunning lap? Mm-hmm. How do you know that Marcus Rashford was just on the other side of the field ready to make that run onto a through ball that he's just going to chuck into the box. It's just like little things like that. It's, mm-hmm. It seems like everything's all clicking now, finally, after just so many games where Solskjaer just has not gotten any results. And I think right now it's just a good string of results. I don't know if United can really consistently hold that because this is still a young team and literally we just came off a string of United not being able to win mm-hmm. or get points. Yeah. So... So for them to get these two results, it kind of has to go back to what Roy Keane said in that same post-match interview where it was like, yeah, good teams can di- get these results, but it has to be week in and week out. And that's the main difference between, like, say, a United and Liverpool right mm-hmm. now, where Liverpool are kind of doing it week in and week out. But for United, it's like, well, this is like kind of out of the blue. Mm-hmm. But if they can consistently do this, then they'll, they'll be real contenders for getting into maybe top four. But for now... This is just a good week, and we're going to have to just revel in that. It, it's, it has been a great week. I mean, uh, what what's really caught me is because it's, you know, Tottenham, Manchester City, Jose Mourinho, Pep Guardiola. I mean, these are two top-tier premier managers that he that United have beaten, and with the help of Hooligan and Solskjaer. But I wanted to point out Marcus Rashford because I think a lot of these results, uh, these past two wins, wouldn't have been able to come without the play of Marcus Rashford. And we've seen that when he's played as like the lone number nine, he has struggled a bit in terms of the way he likes to play. That's not 
um, playing as a lone number nine is not the best way to get the most out of him. When he's on the left side, he's allowed to basically cut on and cut onto his right foot, or even likes to go down on the wing, beat a player with his skill, and look for a cross. Um, it, when he's on the left side, he just has more freedom in terms of what he wants to do. And we've seen him in these past two games be a lot more decisive with the ball. When he wants to shoot, he shoots. When he wants to skill someone out, he's very confident in the skill he's going to do. He's picking out the right passes. Um, he's just in a great run of form right now um, compared to his form that was probably happening to him in September. I mean, this run of form that he's in right now is just incredible. And even the penalties that he's hit, um, a lot of those times he's won those penalties. So Marcus Rashford to me and this time uh, right now has been playing lights out. I mean, he's just been so good. And it just really, as a United fan, it's really nice knowing that this is not even his peak. He's still, you know, improving as the days come because he's only still a 22-year-old. <laughs> and he scored the pen. He finally kind of mm-hmm. starting to break that United <laughs> curse right now where they just can't seem to score a penalty. But he managed to do it. And, you know, Mark Rashford, I feel like he might listen to the podcast because during this game, he was just ripping <laughs> shots left and right. And that's one of the I things know. we highlighted where he's like, Mark Rashford does have that shot in his back pocket. If he just took more shots, maybe some will go in and... Although he scored a penalty this game. Yeah. Like there was a I was few times say, he was like, man, that almost went in. <laughs> I was going to say Raheem Sterling even said that he told Rashford during England duties that, hey, um, if I had a shot like you, I would shoot every time. And Raheem Sterling has said that he thinks that Rashford is starting to now realize the talent he has and just utilizing it more and, you know, not being too scared to use it. Mm-hmm. Switching this over to City, for Pep Guardiola, this, you know, this season, we all knew sort of what was happening defensively. Victor, I mean, Vincent Company left the club. You know, that was the decision that Manchester City made to let him go. And then obviously they were they couldn't foresee uh, like Laporte getting injured the way he did and basically being out for, you know, the beginning half of the season. But if you were City, considering how much we rave about their board and how much, you know, they spend on their attacking players, their midfielders... They didn't really invest that much into their defense. I know they bought Joe Cancelo, but that's a fullback. That's not a center back. Um, and if Pep Guardiola knew going into the season that he didn't really trust Otamendi, John Stones to be, you know, those guys, the number one guys, why do you think he they didn't go out and purchase a center back? I honestly don't know. And they don't even play Joe Cancelo either. Like they're mm-hmm. starting Angelino on the left back. And Zinchenko and- basically turns into the left back or the yeah, the left yeah, back yeah, whenever left he is healthy. And then Kyle Walker is not like he's getting rotated then, too often either. So what's happened to Benjamin Mendy? I mean, at one point everyone was like, "This dude's going to be the best left back in the world," and now he just doesn't even start. Mm-hmm. They literally have more left backs, I feel, than center backs. But I mean, Laporte, he will be coming back soon. Not, you know, in the next couple weeks, but maybe by the end of January, maybe February, something like that. But for City, I feel like the reason why they didn't invest in a center back is maybe because when they saw Jock and Salo, they thought it was like, oh, that's a good deal. We'll just get him and then <laughs> we'll just settle with what we have now. They bought Rodri, though, a midfielder. They bought Rodri, but he's not a center. He did play one game at center back. No, no, but I'm saying like if they're looking for bargain buys, it seems like mm-hmm. why even go out and buy Rodri? If you want, to, if you're just concerned about like the ins and outs of your transfers, Rodri was a pretty not bargain, but like he's he's getting up there as one of the top holding midfielders. Mm-hmm. But 
I mean, it's it's really hard to say why City didn't get another center back. I think it's also because they couldn't get rid of the ones they have. Mm-hmm. And also, they spent so much money on the ones they do have. They If they were to sell them now, it's they would just make a huge loss, I feel. Because, like, who who wants John Stones? Who wants Odomendi right now? Like, not really anyone. Yeah. And those who do want them, they're not going to pay that much. So, mm-hmm. I think right now, they're just kind of like, man, we can't get rid of them. And un- unless we get rid of them, then we're not going to bring in anyone else. Because then it's like, then we're going to have too many center backs. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's also the reason why. No, I, I definitely agree. I think the uh, City definitely have some figuring out. They're really hoping they get Laporte back by the time the Champions League comes back because right now it seems like the Premier League is pretty much washed away for them. There's no way I can see them getting all those points back. It's just such an insurmountable lead that Liverpool have that I don't see City coming close to ever getting to again. So they really need to prioritize Champions League and winning that competition, but they need Laporte back to do it. Now, going on to Everton versus Chelsea. Um, finally, Everton picking up a Premier League win under interim manager Duncan Ferguson, leading the chance of Fergie in, which is quite ironic because, you know, obviously everyone knows Sir Alex Ferguson. So uh, maybe they can get a little bit lucky there with Ferguson being their interim manager right now. But Chelsea obviously sacked Marco Silva. They got that new manager bounce that's so famous for a lot of clubs. You know, you kind of get that jolt of excitement, of emotion, beating Chelsea 3 1. Kind of a shocking result because Chelsea were doing pretty well in the Premier League, but um, Everton picking up that win. But in terms of their head coaching um, hiring process, seems as though Vito Pereira, who was in the running um, in last week's show, it seemed like he would probably become the full-time manager, has basically been out of the running um, from the reports I've been seeing. Unai Emery, however, has reportedly been contacted about the Everton job. How ironic would that be if Unai Emery gets the job at um, Everton? So we may never know. Oh, my. yeah, that's just a report out there. I I honestly don't think that would be that bad of a hire, considering Unai Emery, you know, with Sevilla, not you know, not the Barcelonas and Real Madrids of La Liga, but still did really well with them. Everton, you never know; it could be a good fit for him. It'd be so ironic too, because we keep saying Everton are like a bunch of players on former big teams that we thought <laughs> would make it big, and then they didn't. And then Unai Emery, we thought was going to be. The hey, he'll complete the setup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was supposed to be the big manager for, for Arsenal. And then now, if he goes to Everton, it's like, man, fall from grace. But, I mean, in this game for Everton under Ferguson, it looks like Everton, every player on the team was, like, on the chopping block. Like, they, they played as if if they failed this game, they're going to be sacked. Because there's so <laughs> many times in this game where they just were so physical. Or they just lunge for a tackle and then like decide to dive or you know fake an injury i'm like what is happening like i've never seen so much passion like raw emotion from evertonians or i guess everton (laughs) players i was like what is i was like what did they say to these players because like there's been so many times during this game where i feel like they would foul a chelsea player too and i was like dang what's with this physicality (laughs) it's like what's going on but i mean because of that they got the result. They got the 3-1 win, which is First, not something we expected. Yeah, and uh, the Duncan Ferguson, his reactions to every goal, I mean, they were incredible. He was just, yeah. he was he loving was it. He was hugging ball boys. He mm-hmm. was like lifting them up as if he, they were his, he was his sons. And then <laughs> it was like the biggest goals ever. And this is literally just, you know, I mean, it is against Chelsea, the top four opposition, but man, 
like Richarlison also has been on a slight run of form where he's scored in his last three games. Mm-hmm. So that's also helped out the team a little bit. And Calvert-Lewin, he managed to get two goals from, let's say, preventable mm-hmm. Chelsea mistakes where Kurt Zuma just had a weird clearance where he could just kind of hit it up into the sky, like try to clear the ball and then just kicked it directly like 30 yards above him and then just mm-hmm. dropped back down where he was standing and then managed and then Everton managed to steal it back. And there was another time when Kepa, I don't know what he was doing, but he was trying to play it out from the back and then immediately just passed it basically to an Everton player. And then they scored from that. So Chelsea kind of shot themselves in the foot this game and Everton were able, were able to capitalize on that. So they got a little lucky, but at the same time, it just felt like Everton wanted this game a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And that's something we haven't really seen yeah. all season. So. And I was going to say the passion you see from Duncan Ferguson, I think it's something that's been missing because Marco Silva looks, you know, in recent weeks, who could blame him? The side was struggling so much. He just looks so dead inside. But I, yeah. I think for Everton, I think this is what the game plan they need to go back to. They need to get back to the players working hard for each other, the, the basically playing as a team again, everyone being on the front foot, pressing, having that energy with them because – you know, right now they're not in a position where they can just sit back and absorb pressure and, you know, try to play it their way out the back. You know, they just have to be on the front foot and cause disruption and problems for teams. I think that's the way they can um, generate success for them. But another loss for Chelsea, now going on to West Ham versus Arsenal. In this game that happened yesterday, West Ham looked totally dominant in the first half. Arsenal looked so lethargic, so out of it in the first half. They were trailing 1-0. Obviously, in the second half, the whole script changed. Arsenal getting like three goals in a span of, I think, 10 or 15 minutes. Boom, like right there. Uh, Nico Pepe scoring a wonderful goal on the right wing, just cutting in and just curling it around the keeper. Um, Maybe that can kickstart his Premier League campaign. But for me and for Freddie Lundberg, I don't think this result changes anything about Arsenal and what I've been thinking about them recently. They're still a side that plays like a bunch of individuals, um, has yet to really click as a team. Um, I don't think so many problems they have to figure out. And also didn't help that Kieran Tierney went down and Hector Bellerin also went down with an injury. Um, two of their young fullbacks that they're needed to um, you know, shore up their defensive line, both are out. Um, so for me, I, I think this was just maybe a one-off game for Arsenal. And I will say in this game, I also noticed that after Aaron Creswell was subbed off in the 51st minute, that's when Arsenal started to get more of their attacks. And also that's when Nicolas Pepe started to exploit his area of the field where Masuaku took over for Creswell and then just gave him the space to allow Pepe to really get that shot off. And honestly, if you let most players get get the any kind of shot off where Pepe was, they'd probably at least get on target. But when you give someone like Pepe that space, which a lot of former defenders that he's faced not giving him, you know, most people would score. And, you know, sure enough, Pepe finally scores something that's not a set piece. And <laughs> it's like little things like that. And that helps Arsenal really get back into the game after Martinelli scored and then Pepe scored. It's just all Arsenal, which is something we saw as kind of like a momentum change, too, because in the first half, as Yesh mentioned, it was basically all West Ham. In the second half, they just started to get some momentum just from some lucky chances, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Just like some, not piss poor defending from West Ham, but just <laughs> some lackadaisical defending, I would say. Yeah. Just not really closing down the attacker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know, do you do you agree with me that you just feel like this, we're just going to keep seeing say, the, the same 
lack of mental, like, you know, having the mental psyche for Arsenal and just the same problems are going to keep reoccurring for them? Yeah, I would say so, because Lundberg is not looking like he's one of those, you know, Ferguson, Duncan Ferguson kind of acts <laughs> that we're seeing at Everton where, like, we're, we're seeing some emotion in these players. I feel like when they score, it's more like relief rather than, mm-hmm. like, joy, which is yeah a different kind of feeling. But This you know, is literally the first win since October. They haven't yeah. won a competition since October. Which is insane. That's about nine games now. And mm-hmm. for them to have to wait nine games and start this game in particular in the bottom half of the table in December now, that is kind of ridiculous mm-hmm. <laughs> given the caliber of the players they have. It's like how how poorly can you manage a team to not really get results till huh. now? And they're still not really getting results consistently. This is yeah. against a West Ham team that was struggling for a long time so yeah they definitely they definitely need to get a restructure going on but interesting news here napoli um after they qualified for the knockout stage of the champions league fired their head coach uh carlo ancelotti we obviously know ancelotti is a very famous coach um very prestigious coach won a lot of won a lot of trophies now he could potentially be a name that arsenal could look at as their new you know manager um there's a lot of names out there but Right now, they're still sticking with Lundberg as the interim coach. Nothing finalized there or anything, but that's just a name to throw out there. Um, now going to Tottenham versus Burnley. Tottenham demolishing Burnley 5-0. Burnley going on back-to-back losses. A little rough for them, hitting a rough patch, but there were some incredible goals scored by Tottenham. None better than Hyunmin Son's solo, probably goal-of-the-season effort, where he just ran basically 90 yards and scored an absolute wonderful goal and he said in an interview that he was basically so out of breath that he just needed to take a time to capture his breath again but wow what a goal what a goal yeah he was literally like Sonaldo turned into Messi right there <laughs> like he he as you said literally just ran 90 yards past it seemed like the entire Burnley team like no Burnley defender was able to stop him it was it was kind of incredible it was a mix of just pure patience in terms of being able to know when to kind of make those bursts and to sprint and technique to really get past basically if you just watch the goal it looked like three or four players at least and while so being surrounded at the same time by two other players and for him to run past all those players and slot it in it kind of reminded me of when he outran Jorginho last oh, season yeah I forgot <laughs> about that, that one Son but this one is Jorginho. way more yep Famous, famous podcast title right there, but <laughs> this one was way more oh, impressive, yeah, for sure. And I do have to say, Burnley, this game, they just they're not the typical Burnley that we've been seeing in the past seasons where they're very physical and very stout in terms of defense. It seems like every attack Tottenham had, it was just straight through the middle, mm-hmm. and just Burnley just couldn't yep. stop it. And we even saw Musa Suzoko score this game, he scored again, he scored. Man, this is the guy who missed an. A one-on-one against Liverpool last season when it was like on his weak foot. And this oh, is a play. Oh, wait, I think I remember score. that. I think I remember that chance faintly. I think I remember. Yep. That. But yeah, since Jose yeah. Mourinho's come, he scored twice already in the Premier League. But this is. Um, I was going to say for me, Burnley always seem to play better at home now. They're kind of the new Stoke City where it's now like a cold, rainy night at Turf Moor. Um, <laughs> can you handle the long balls and the physicality they give? But when they're away, they're a lot more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And it, it really showed this game. They didn't have Ashley Barnes and they didn't have 
uh, some of their other players that are, you know, kind of big for them in terms of like Aaron Lennon as well. But for them to go into this game and lose 5-0 and then also in the previous game lose 4-1 four, 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 yeah, four, to Man City, they've conceded nine goals in like a week. It, it's so it's that's funny not really because good. they keep losing. Each team that they play keeps scoring bangers. Like Rodri scored an absolute rocket into like the top mm-hmm. corner and then Son scores this wonderful goal. Not to mention Kane scored like some absolutely wonderful um just scored some absolute wonderful goals in this game too. But obviously you can't beat Son's goal. That was incredible. Um mm-hmm. but I mean it also goes back to Burnley just not it, it kind of reminds me of West Ham's defending where it's just no one was really closing down the attacker mm-hmm. and you know the goalie was ready, but it's just like these shots where you just can't you can't block them. Yeah, especially if you just have to stop them at their inception. So it's like that's kind of like the like the lesson of this week. I feel like if close you don't down, stop that, close down. Yeah, if you don't close down your attacker, then you're gonna get hurt. Watch every Premier League game this weekend shows. is just gonna be nil nil. Mate, oh my gosh! Hopefully not. <laughs> be so boring. Be rough. But I know. Um, uh, going to Bournemouth, Liverpool. Liverpool again, just winning. Oxley Chamberlain coming in, um, getting a goal. Keita and Salah getting a goal. Um, Tyler, I mean, was this result ever in doubt? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Bournemouth at home. You know, I, I'm always worried about them, but with this team right now, and then also seeing Solanke start, I was like, all right, he's not going to score again. So <laughs> come on now, we got rid of him. And like this team right now, it's just. If there's a team that could stop him, it'd be I'm not sure if he'd be in England. <laughs> maybe hmm. hmm. Like I don't even think of, I can't even think of another team in Europe because Juventus are struggling. Real Madrid obviously are not the same powerhouse. Mm-hmm. PSG, you know, in Champions League matches always look pretty vulnerable. Yeah. Barcelona looks so vulnerable if they don't have the ball. Um am I missing another team? I don't see another team that could really cause Liverpool problems. I only just think of Barcelona because of Messi and also just that mm-hmm. game in Champions League last season in the semifinals. Oh, where, yeah. You know, we came back 4-0, but like that first game when it was 3-0, you know, there's not that many teams if, that can do that to if Liverpool. If Dembele would have scored, if Dembele would have scored in that first leg at the end of the game, the tie would have been over. Mm-hmm. But thank thank goodness. <laughs> but, <laughs> but for this game in the Premier League, at least, uh, Naby Keita, we see him start a game and he got mad of the match. And then also today in the Champions League, he does another man of the match performance, basically. So it's looking good. It's looking good that Naby Keita is coming back from, it feels like he's always injured and he's just coming off like like a string of injuries. And whenever he is in, it was kind of questionable whether or not it was kind of like a bust kind of a move. But for this week, it's kind of like Manchester United, where we don't know if it's going to be a thing that's going to continue, but if maybe Keita can be this kind of player every game from mm-hmm. here on out, then that's going to be a huge boost to Liverpool yep. in the title race because that's now... That's just more midfield depth. Yeah, there's way more midfield depth. And also, this is a player that can find the pass, a creative spark where there are games where it's like, man, we we wish we had that player that can really find, you know, an open Salah or an open Firmino on, on like a run where at times it's like, man, we literally only have James Milner... Henderson and Wijnaldum trying to find these creative passes and you mm-hmm. know they are somewhat creative but they're not as creative as like say a Coutinho was or mm-hmm. a Keita is right now and you know I do have to give credit to Henderson this game he he gave like a Gerard-esque kind of long ball pass straight to Oxlade-Chamberlain this game and that was 
That was straight yeah. out of Dara's mm-hmm. book right there. And I was like, oh, man. Yep. But Henderson can't do that every game. <laughs> He's not Gerard. He's like a yeah. beta version. <laughs> um, oh, I was going to go back to the uh, the question about the which team could stop him. Maybe Byron, because Lewandowski and his the fact that he just can't stop scoring. Maybe ah, him. Maybe I mean, him. we saw last season Liverpool <laughs> were going to stop Byron. Mm-hmm. And also, but, I feel like this season they're even worse. Or Byron's worse. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. You you have an informed striker that can. You never know what happens. You never know with the informed striker. That's true. Uh, if we start Lovren at center back, maybe yeah. <laughs> and then Joe Gomez at right back, and yeah, probably. But all right. But main point: Liverpool is still on cruise control. Um, now another team that is just keep keeps on winning, and you know, have if Liverpool was not as good as they are, Leicester could probably be in first place, or really pretty much a couple points away from being in first place. Beat Aston Villa away four, four to one. Um, Jamie Vardy scoring again. The whole team just playing some great stuff. And Vardy's leading the way with I think sixteen goals or fifteen or sixteen goals in the Premier League right now. I mean, he's just mm-hmm. by far been the most informed striker right now. And Brendan Rodgers keeps on winning. I don't know if it will stop, but for me, I know this sounds cliche to say, but. For me, it's going to be the test of how good this team is during this Boxing Day period and during this whole Christmas schedule. Can they make it out of this Christmas schedule alive and still in form? If they can, then this team is the real deal and they will finish in the top four. But if they start slipping up and struggling, um, that's where I can see maybe the other top teams um, kind of chasing after them and probably getting ground on them. For me, I feel like Leicester do have a pretty good shot of making it out still in top four because we saw in this game, Brandon Rogers started Iannaccio and he started uh, Priet in the midfield. And he did uh, in the previous game, start Fuchs over Ben Chilwell. So he has been rotating the team ever so slightly. And even in this game, he had a different formation for the team, which we haven't really seen this season. But if he's able to do this and still get results, although it was against a Villa side who, you know, his lower half of the table. But he's still getting the results 4-1, which is pretty, pretty, I would say, I guess confident, but also just like put your stamp on it. Good. It's like, yes, yeah, it's good. It's good. It's like, it's not like, oh, it's a one-off. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like a 1-0. It's like, <laughs> oh, we got lucky there. This is like a pretty commanding. That's what I'm trying to find the word. Mm-hmm. Commanding win. And it was a way at Villa Park. So for him to rotate the squad ever so slightly and get this result, I feel like they will on if they can actually get the results consistently throughout this month, they will be able to stay top four. And I feel like they could because they also don't have European competitions to worry about. Mm-hmm. But man, as a Liverpool fan too, like looking over your back shoulder and seeing Leicester there, it's like, what the, <laughs> what are they doing here? And yeah. It was not the competition you were expecting. Not the competition at all, but also a team that pulled the miracle just a few seasons ago, Leicester, mm-hmm. If they, you know, get top four, it'll also be another miracle. But, oh, my gosh, if they are in the title race of Liverpool, <laughs> I don't know how I'd, I'd handle that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then not to mention, Brendan Rodgers also signed a extension with Leicester City. So he's there for a little bit longer now. Obviously, we don't know. Obviously, you can still get pride out of a extension. But right now, it seems like he won't be moving anytime this season. Probably in the offseason, if he does decide to move somewhere, that could be an option. Um, now, 
Newcastle beating Southampton two to one. Steve Bruce doing an excellent job taking over uh, over Rafa Benitez. I remember when Rafa got sacked this summer. I was like, this is a horrible decision. They don't know what they're doing. Um, but Newcastle seems just fine right now. They're in mid table and they've kind of rode the uh, storm of losing Rafa. Uh, Rafa Benitez and Steve Bruce has done a decent job there. Hasenhutl getting a loss there, and then. Brighton against Wolves. That game finished 2-2. Um, Wolves obviously are continuing some good run of form. Graham Potter doing a decent job at Brighton right now. Um, Norwich, Sheffield. Sheffield again picking up a 2-1 win. They keep on um, continuing their good run of form and staying in the top half of the table. And then Watford, Crystal Palace. Watford, uh, so, so surprisingly, they are the worst side in the Premier League. But oddly enough, they hired Nigel Pearson in the midweek. He didn't manage this game because he just got hired, I think, a day before. But Nigel Pearson, if you guys don't know, was the manager that in the first season Leicester was in the Premier League, which was the 2014-15 season. Leicester City were pretty much um, rode off from the Premier League. I think in December they had maybe 11 points. They had very few points, and it was so unlikely that they were going to pick up enough points to stay in the Premier League. But... Nigel Pearson did a good enough job for them to stay up. And that's obviously the next season they hired Ranieri and then they went on and won the title. Can Nigel Pearson replicate that same magic with Watford and keep them in the Premier League? No. <laughs> I don't <laughs> that was think easy. so. Yeah, because, you know, this team compared to that Leicester squad, that team had N'Golo Conte. That team had Riyad Mahrez. And Jamie Vardy. Jamie Vardy. And this team has Gerard De La Feu, <laughs> who hasn't scored from open play this whole season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they have Saar, like one of those new players who's playing winger, but he hasn't really been, like, clicking too too well. And also that Watford defense. That Watford defense has just been so leaky. I I, I honestly don't know what to really say of it because – it's a champion league or a championship side defense, in my opinion, where it's like Ben Foster, he's very much past his prime mm-hmm. compared to his days at West Brom when he was able to sometimes single-handedly stop or get points for his team. While in this season, it seems like there are times when his mistakes have, are the reason why Watford have lost. And then also, I feel like they just don't know how to really shape themselves defensively because throughout the season we see them in a back five a back three and then this game in a back four so it's like what are they doing they got to stick with something and they don't know what works so i think mm-hmm. that's also a reason why they're gonna go down yeah uh and you know nigel pearson's coming in for a busy area you know december and he gets a january transfer window they've got to pick up some points here if they want to have a chance of at least you know staying in the premier league but now going on to our preview section, um, our three games. First, we got Manchester United versus Everton. Um, big game, obviously, United coming off those two huge wins against Mourinho and Pep. This is against Everton, who came off the win against Chelsea at home at Old Trafford. I think if United really want to turn the corner this season and start picking up some good results, they have to win this game. It's going to be a tough one, but I think United could po- will probably win another 2-1 victory at home. I think Rashford Ooh. will score again. I think Rashford will score again this game. I think United will get another penalty if <laughs> Everton are going to be as physical as last game. And, you know, United this season have been very good at drawing pens, mm-hmm. basically, if the whole team was Hazard <laughs> <laughs> at Chelsea. It felt like every time Hazard played, they got a pen, but... 
I feel like this game, I wouldn't be surprised if Everton, you know, right off their passionate high of, you know, getting that win off Chelsea and then maybe steal some points away from United. But United right now, after coming off this week, I don't see them losing either. So I'm going to say 2-2. Ooh, okay. A draw, a high-scoring draw there. Um, I'm going to go for the win again. Hopefully the win start, the win stands. This game is oddly enough going to be on NBC um, Gold um, because they're showing the next game we're about to preview, Wolves versus Tottenham. That will be the slot that's actually taking over the Manchester United slot. So you'll be able to see the Tottenham game live on TV in the U.S. But, you know, at the Molyneux, um, a tough a tough place to go. And the way the Wolves are playing, the way Tottenham's playing with Deli Ali and everyone getting on fire... I'm going to go for a 2-2 draw. I think Tottenham's defense still needs some work. I think Wolves is a team that could capitalize on that. Wolves, however, will not be able to stop Deli Ali, Hyunmin Son, or Harry Kane. Um, and I think that'll be good enough to get a 2-2 draw there. Ooh. Yeah, I agree with Yush in terms of Tottenham being on fire. Like Deli Ali in particular, he looks like a, a new man. Like just mm-hmm. reborn. And then meanwhile, Christian Eriksen's also on fire, warming up the bench. <laughs> just like little <laughs> things like that but Wolves also have been kind of surprising me at this stage of the season where at the beginning they've just been struggling it's like man are they gonna get relegated are they just gonna also get out of the Europa League but no they're still mm-hmm. doing pretty strong in both so in this game there's a big game for them to also stamp their way into saying all right we are a top seven top eight team if in order to be top eight top seven they have to get results against teams like Tottenham so it, it's it's a little rough to say, but I think I agree with Yush for the scoreline as, as well, 2-2. Two, two. But I think it will be more like Tottenham score two first and then mm, Wolves come oh, back. Okay. Because, you know, that's been the Tottenham way so far. They, they yeah, get Mourinho. that lead and then they lose it almost. Mm-hmm. Almost. But I think this yep. will be the game where they actually do lose the lead. And yeah. and I, I want to quickly point this out with Wolves. Um, I don't, I don't really hear the uh, manager, Nuno Espirito Santo, being link to higher or bigger jobs out there because i think he's a really good manager and he's done a really good job with this what i mean this what this wolverhampton wolves team and making them play together um obviously he's got some great players there but i think he's done a really good job at wolves and i'm surprised that his name hasn't been thrown out there to more top jobs out there but i just wanted to throw that little mm-hmm. factoid out there even the um, arsenal job like yeah that wouldn't be too he, bad he just has not been a name that's been there. Maybe he's just, you know, obviously he's not English, but, you know, he's still a great manager. Dude, um, I got Portuguese players on Arsenal. Yeah. <laughs> he, we'll just need to bring in Ruben Neves and it'll be good. Ruben Neves, maybe, you know. Jota. Jota. Uh, <laughs> Martinho. Ronaldo. The whole squad, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bernardo Silva, maybe. <laughs> no. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> um, but oddly enough, um, we got the biggest game of the weekend. This, for Freddie Lundberg, if he wants to turn the corner with Arsenal, he's going to have to beat Manchester City in the Emirates. Um, a huge game. City coming off that loss. You know, Arsenal coming off that win. I think because City are coming off that loss and basically how Pep was basically outclassed, or not outclassed, but out-tactician in a way in that game, I'm going to put my money on City bouncing back and I know this is going to be hard to say, but I'm going to go with 3-1. I think they blow Arsenal out of the water. That's a very good prediction because Arsenal, the most toxic team right now in the Premier League, <laughs> going against a team that's just super angry, a team that I'm pretty sure Pep Guardiola 
went up to every single player to end of that game against United and just like slapped each one <laughs> like at least twice. Like he was he was not having it. So if City, if they lose or drop points two games in a row, that'll be incredible. But you know, people can dream. <laughs> and as a Liverpool fan, no I would want to see Arsenal get the result against City at home at the Emirates, but I can't see it happening. It's just like what like it's gonna be almost a miracle for Arsenal to get a win against City, mm-hmm. given that they're basically almost struggling against yep. West Ham for for most of last game, and they just came off a string of just not winning since October. Mm-hmm. So, for them to win against City or even even get a draw, it's a lot to ask. So, I'm gonna I have to say. 3-1 is a pretty good estimate, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was like 4-0. Wow. Wow. Or, actually, no, with this City defense, I'd say 4-1 or 4-2. Yeah, because I... Yeah, I'd see City scoring 4. I, I just think the game is going to fall into City's plan because they obviously are not a counter-attacking side, but obviously Arsenal being at home, they're going to want to play in the front foot and they're going to want to you know get the fans on their side. They want to play attacking football. Then all of a sudden, if you give the ball away to Fernandinho, to Rodri... And you give it to, and you spray it out to Kevin De Bruyne. He's just gonna charge through the midfield, find Silva, find Sterling, find Jesus, or you know, find Jesus down the middle. I mean, I don't know. I personally just can't see Arsenal getting a result here. I think City are just gonna dominate them, and that's what we, me and Tyler, are both um, uh, visioning. But mm-hmm. and you see David Luiz. He's like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's not. That's not an issue. Yeah. But I mean, I will say last week I did say City were gonna win with four goals too, and then they end up losing. So hopefully I jinx it. <laughs> hopefully I get cheesed and then Arsenal win, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely see. But that kind of does it for us for episode fifty-five. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Please make sure to rate, comment, subscribe, tell us what you like, what you don't like. But that kind of does it for us for episode fifty-five. Thank you guys so much. Peace. Peace. <laughs>